0: Welcome to Home Dance Film Festival, the podcast that brings a little bit of the Sundance Film Festival to you.
1: We discussed two movies that played at Sundance along with one non-Sundance film, plus a few other fun things thrown in along the way. Today we're discussing Big Night, Napoleon Dynamite, and Endless Summer. I'm Jessica. And I'm Dylan.
0: Well, it's July still, and it's still summer raging on. The Cannes Film Festival is in full swing. Hell yeah. And Robin Williams is trending on Twitter again.
1: As he should be. Yes. So what are some of your favorites by him? Well, as with everyone probably who is listening, I've always loved Robin Williams. And even in his lesser roles, I still found him interesting. Mm -hmm. But I've always had a soft spot for Flubber because (laughs) I think that came at a period of my life where I was just the right age coming up. And it was just a film that I was so excited uh, whenever it finally came out just to guess see it and see this little wiggly gelatin flubber uh, do its thing. Yeah. Uh but I also really love his uh dramatic work as well, like both Goodwill Hunting and then Awakenings we watched in recent years and that one was really good as well. Mm-hmm. So he's just great all the time. Even one of his earliest roles in Popeye, <laughs> that movie's bizarre as hell, but he's really fun in the role and I like to Yeah.
0: Flubber came out with um, Titanic and I remember I have told you before whenever my parents all took us to the theater and we saw Flubber and they saw Titanic and I wanted to see Flubber but I also wanted to see Titanic so I was like oh kind of bummed but I saw it eventually whenever it came to video later.
1: Yeah you could break it up over its two VHSs. Yeah.
0: We still have those two VHSs. (laughs) Nice. It was so weird because I recently saw a thing on Twitter about this girl mentioning how people my age were, like, obsessed with Titanic. And it was super weird because it's, like, a bunch of seven-year-olds who are like, I want to watch the Titanic and I'm obsessed with a boat sinking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I even bought a book on it at the book fair and it
1: was weird. It's just kind of fostering that underlying darkness (laughs) that all children have.
0: I guess so. I mean, it was partially because of Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On, but also I was just interested in the Titanic. And we went to like an exhibit later in Memphis
1: and it was weird.
0: We were all weird kids.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is, well, at the time was the highest grossing movie of all time. So obviously you were not alone. People were wanting to see that movie.
0: Yeah. And I still like it. I don't care what anyone says. It's fun and I enjoy it. So, huh? (laughs)
1: Yeah. But obviously, the larger culture impact is flubber. Yes,
0: of course. Like, putting it on the bottom of the shoes and bouncing super high... That was crazy. Yeah. I enjoyed every second of it. As you know, and the people who may have read my article, my favorite Robin Williams movie is Bicentennial Man.
1: Yes. <laughs> you wrote a good article.
0: Yes. And second favorite is probably Jack. And a lot of people don't like that as well. But I love it.
1: Yeah, you're just naming everyone's least favorite <laughs> yep. movie.
0: And I loved it. I was obsessed with it whenever I was little. And I am still obsessed with it. I think it's great. And Awakenings is also my top movies for him.
1: Yeah, I love how he could just bring a lot of emotion to all of his like even his more comedic roles. His role in Mrs. Doubtfire is very emotional even though it's a very broad concept. Yeah that's also my top. Yeah he's was a lovely man. Yeah. And I miss having movies from him to look forward to.
0: Yeah he was a big part of my
1: childhood and then just was still there so he's just always been there. Mm-hmm. Before we get into our main discussion this week I wanted to talk about a few movies that I watched this week to celebrate our nation's independence. We dove into the best that music has to offer and watched the Billie Eilish documentary on Apple TV, The World is a Little Blurry. I enjoyed the documentary quite a bit. I am not the biggest Billie Eilish fan. I decided I wanted to see what all the kids were listening to back like a year or two ago, and I listened to her album, and I thought it was pretty good. I think it was about half and half of things I liked and things that were not as much for me, but watching the documentary I appreciated her as at least a person a little bit more I didn't know that much about her um, I would only seen her in a few interviews and everything but I appreciate her talent and everything that she puts into her music and it's just a very compelling documentary
0: yeah I enjoyed it I haven't listened to her album and if I did I probably think that's fine but I enjoy her more as a person now and it was fun learning about her I didn't know that she had Tourettes so that's interesting same
1: and and all of her physical ailments, her mm-hmm. constantly breaking bones and spraining stuff. and Yeah, hurting herself. Yeah. I didn't know
0: that she was previously a dancer, like a ballet dancer.
1: Yeah, even people that I'm not as big of a fan of, I usually enjoy watching documentaries about them, just mm-hmm. delving into who they are.
0: Yeah, her life and her process are all very interesting, and her relationship with her family and her brother, it was nice to see. Yeah. And I definitely have more respect and admiration for her, for her dedication Mm -hmm. and just her craft, like honing her craft. She and her brother are both very talented. They can write good songs and they can both sing very well, which I didn't know that her brother could sing.
1: Any Billie Eilish fans that are listening are probably like screaming, how did you not know this about her? But we're (laughs) old. I don't know. We didn't know.
0: We have seen her in concert, but didn't know anything about her.
1: Yeah. Opening for Florence and the Machine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, play the crown on the ground song and play the one that she performs with Khaled so. yeah <laughs> speaking of documentaries that changed how I viewed people, I'm not talking about the documentary itself, but last year we watched the documentary This Is Paris about Paris Hilton, mm-hmm. which gave me a different outlook on the star known as Paris Hilton. But I re-watched this week the classic mid-2000s horror film House of Wax, because I'm reviewing the new Scream Factory Collector's Edition release. And that movie was a lot better than I had remembered and Paris was a lot better than I think people gave her credit for at the time not that she was great but no one was really great in the movie but (laughs) she was as good as anyone else who was in a mid 2000s horror movie should be like she wasn't out of place but the movie itself like I said it's a lot better than I remember the acting's not great but the story is fairly interesting where it really shines is the production design the actual care that they put into creating this House of Wax, and then what they do with it. There are moments where, like, there's wax melting off of figures and, like, kind of houses basically falling apart, which is super intense and impressive, just from a visual standpoint, because they went with more so practical effects, rather than just all CGI. Mm -hmm. So, just the way they crafted this film was very impressive, and it has a fairly creepy atmosphere. They've turned the classic House of Wax movie into a Lasher film, and it translates pretty well in that respect. Um, There's some really good kills, there's some decapitations, and pulls through heads, and Mm -hmm. all that fun stuff. But it was fun revisiting that one, because it had not really stuck in my brain since I first watched it 16 years ago. But I liked it a little bit better this time. And the new collector's edition is really good. There's a new 2K scan, so it looks a little better than the old Blu-ray, and there's a lot of fun extras, including a new interview with Paris Hilton. So... As I told you, I was very surprised that she agreed to be interviewed for this release. But as you pointed out, she probably just... She just likes getting in front of the camera and talking, so (laughs) she's good for it. Yeah. So that was a fun revisit. And then, I guess, finally, I just want to give a quick plug to this Taiwanese martial arts movie, Raining in the Mountain. Uh, It's from director King Hu, who directed Dragon Inn and A Touch of Zen, both of which are in the Criterion Collection. It's a movie from the 70s. It's about three separate groups of people who go to a monastery where the abbot is trying to pick a new successor to take over from all of the monks at the monastery. So he's trying to get the opinions of these different people on who he should pick to succeed him. At least two of the factions that arrive are just interested in trying to steal this ancient scroll. So it's like kind of this microcosm of duplicity and people trying to get one over on one another and steal this valuable artifact. So it's like slightly heist film-esque, but then there's also martial arts and there's also Buddhist spiritualism. Some might find it slow, but I find it pretty interesting. There's not a ton of martial arts in the film, but what is there is interesting. It's a precursor to some of the Crouching Tiger, House of Flying Dagger types of exaggerated martial arts. Mm -hmm. I think it's called like Wushu, but it's a solid film. I watched it through film movement, classics, Blu-ray.
0: Speaking of fancy footwork, shall we Sundance?
1: Let's do it. what i order yes that is a risotto it's a special recipe that my brother and i bring from italy but i get a cider of spaghetti with this right why she
0: likes starch i don't know come on here. are no meatballs with the spaghetti they were two brothers who came to america bearing italy's greatest gift to eat good food is to be close to god i'm never sure what that means but it's true anyway <laughs> they have a talent for cooking no, wait. Cut. now all they need if you give people time they learn This is a restaurant, not a cooking school. Is a recipe for success. Big night played at Sundance in 1996 where it won the Waldo Scott Screenwriting Award. It was written by Stanley Tucci and Joseph Tropiano and directed by Campbell Scott and Stanley Tucci. It stars Stanley Tucci, Tony Shalhoub, Minnie Driver, Isabella Rossellini, Campbell Scott, and Ian Holm. Chef Primo and businessman Secondo are immigrant brothers from Italy who opened their dream restaurant called Paradise in New Jersey. However, Primo's authentic food is too unfamiliar for the local taste and the restaurant is struggling. When famous Italian-American band leader Louis Prima is scheduled to appear at Paradise, the two brothers pull all of their efforts into the important meal, which will likely decide the fate of their restaurant. As you know about me, Dylan, I love cooking and I love baking. So I love a good food movie and often whenever I feel like I need to be comforted or soothed, I will watch something involving food like The Great British Baking Show because it's just nice and it has uplifting music and I like how they treat each other and I love just watching them make things. And so whenever I'm cooking and baking, it's like the same thing. Just being like enveloped in the smell and the process and listening to podcasts or music and just forgetting about things Mm -hmm. so i love food movies and whenever i watch them also i love the scenes where they're preparing the food and usually it's like a montage with music underneath and they're kind of like rushed but i love seeing those scenes in restaurant kitchens or homes whenever they're preparing it my brain will just spark with ideas and then I get excited because I start automatically like thinking of things that I could do that I could try and then I start writing things down or researching things and it makes me happy so I love watching movies like this so I was really excited to watch this and it let me down just a little bit because I wanted more of those scenes and it doesn't quite have enough of those for me but it has a few and whenever it does have those scenes it's really special because I can almost... Almost, like smell their kitchen whenever I'm watching certain scenes there's like yeah. a scene with pasta sauce bubbling on the stove mm-hmm. and I can almost smell it I can like feel the heat of the kitchen and I love the way the kitchen looks it just has like a calming nice effect on my brain Yeah. so I really like those parts but I love all the performances in the movie I think they were really good but I just wanted a little bit more like kitchen scenes and food porn yeah, yeah. it was more so about like the business of the restaurant instead of just the food of the restaurant, which I can get for the story just because they're immigrants and they're trying to make it in America. It also points out how Americans ruin everything, just every different culture, how we just ruin it, food because our tastes are so whack because we have all of the sugar pumped into all of our food yeah. and everything is just not authentic and it's weird. And then we just like what we like. And so one of our other cultures try to, they're just like, hey, try this. And then we're like, no, but it's better now, I think more people are open to more authentic food and cooking than they were in the 50s whenever this took place, I think. So yeah, I think that they were not as open to things. So the successful Italian restaurant across the street was probably lasagna and spaghetti and meatballs and stuff that Americans like. Italy is a huge country and so all the different regions of it have different foods and delicacies. So if you have like southern Italy, you're going to get like more Mediterranean. So you got a lot of fish and vegetables. And so people, people are like, no, that's not Italian, I want spaghetti. So I like how it's just pointing out how Americans are gross in that way. But yeah, this is a nice watch, I think. And the dynamic between the brothers is interesting and also frustrating because I think that uh, Stanley Tucci, Secondo, his character, I think that his point was valid. And I think that if they would have just like brought a few things in that would draw them Americans in, it would be better. And also his point about how this dish is more expensive to make. We have to charge more and then no one's ordering it. So why don't we just take it off the menu? I
1: think that's a good point. Yeah. So what I'm gathering from you is (laughs) that if this had been a little bit more balanced with the food scenes, like another Stanley Tucci food classic, Julia and Julia. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This would have been tops for you. Yes.
0: Yes. Julie and Julia also has, like, so many heartwarming moments. I love it.
1: Yeah. The uh, emotional dynamic between the brothers didn't hit as hard as Mm -hmm. that other movie. Yeah. I enjoyed this movie pretty well. It wasn't my favorite, but I was mostly entertained throughout. I didn't think that it was a waste of time or anything. I enjoy the performances from all of the main people, especially Stanley and Tony, of course. As you mentioned, I enjoyed one of the early scenes. Their restaurant's not packed as it is. There's like one couple in the restaurant and they are, of course, picky Americans. Um, even though we're not picky, we'll eat any garbage that's thrown in front of us. But yeah. whenever they're given actual good Italian food, they seem perplexed. They're like, where's the rest of this? And also, like you said, bring us meatballs. And they're like, no, this doesn't come with meatballs. And they did not know what they were ordering when they ordered risotto. And that's <laughs> that's the dish that ends up being like too expensive for them to make and no one really likes it it infuriates primo and they're just like do we just need to serve them hot dogs is that what we're gonna (laughs) resort to just to stoop down to their level Mm -hmm. of these americans so i was like yeah i feel attacked it's true it's true it's true. (laughs) And I know if you were there, you'd be like, hell yeah, risotto, let's do this. Yes.
0: Like the time where the big meal, they had three kinds of risottos on the plate. Yeah. And it looked so good. But also I was thinking about hygiene and them just bringing the giant plate around and mm-hmm. sticking it in everyone's
1: face. Yeah. But that's family style. Mm-hmm. You just got to dig in. <laughs> but yeah, all of the food in this movie that they created, it looked amazing. And that was definitely the highlight of the movie for me, mm-hmm. just seeing all this food and as you mentioned, you usually get ideas from watching these movies. And some of the best meals <laughs> that I've had, some of the best food discoveries have come from movies. Mm-hmm. Like we watched um, Hector and the Search for Happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was almost said The Pursuit of Happiness. <laughs> <laughs> And you found this, what was it? African sweet potato stew. Yeah. And (laughs) you've made it several times since (laughs) then. And and it's just amazing because we were just watching and you're like, what's that now? I need to know what this is. (laughs) Yeah. And then you just recreated it. I'm like, oh, this is dope. I love this. Mm -hmm. And audience, that's one of the fun parts of living with Jessica. (laughs) She'll see food on a movie and just say, hey, I can probably do that. Mm -hmm. And she'll just whip it up and it's usually pretty delicious. Yep. So I cannot wait to see if you come up with some more dishes from this movie because <laughs> my belly will appreciate it. As far as the characters, I was a little irritated at Secundo because he had a nice lady mm-hmm. in the form of Minnie Driver as Phyllis and she was such a sweet lady. But then, of course, he was also cheating with Isabella Rossellini's character who was a married lady. Mm-hmm. And I was just so frustrated and just being like, why are you doing doing this. Yeah, it's like he had problems with committing and stuff
0: about his restaurant.
1: Yeah, he says up top that whenever Phyllis is discussing the possibility of marriage, that he's like, no, I don't want to get married until I know that I'm financially secure. You understand that, Mm -hmm. but then whenever you see him later with Isabella, you're just like, bro, stop being a scrub. Yeah, (laughs) he's just a dog. Yeah, so that kind of frustrated me, but I did understand his business concerns. you said, Mm -hmm. and then like his relationship with Ian Holm, who was someone that the brothers didn't want to get in business with, but they thought they might have to sell out to him and give up their dream of owning their own restaurant in favor of being under his thumb. Mm -hmm. So there was dramatic tension throughout the movie. I just didn't think it was super compelling. (laughs) I was more so just interested in the food, and you have questions of whether this Louis Prima is actually going to show up at the restaurant, because he gets the tip from Ian Holmes' character, and you want to believe it for the characters, because you know this would be a very big break for them to serve him, and have people be like, oh, he he ate there, and blah blah. Mm -hmm. They're sinking all this money into this big night, (laughs) and (laughs) you don't know what's going to happen. With the business, Yeah, but at least also there was a
0: newspaper reporter there. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the word could get out a little bit at least. And then they had a group of friends. It was a fairly large group. So you think that they could also tell their friends and be like, hey, you should try this place out.
1: <laughs> yeah, because all of them were saying, this is some of the best food I've ever eaten. And yeah. You do want to share that information with people.
0: Yeah, usually people are amped to recommend places. So you'd think that if the guy didn't show up, it would be fine for them they would have a good amount of business after
1: celebrities help celebrity yeah. Uh, endorsements yeah
0: like you said with phyllis how secundo like treated her and everything it was so sad because she was so excited to help the restaurant and she was in the kitchen helping out because they only had three employees it's just primo and secundo and then their waiter slash prep guys slash kitchen guys slash busser
1: mark uh, anthony yeah he has a young mark anthony
0: yeah who has no lines i think i don't
1: think so. I think he's usually just reacting to people. Yeah.
0: So he's just there, but he his performance is really good, just reacting and soaking up things and being a shoulder for them to lean on. It was really sweet how he is very invested in their business and the relationship. Yeah. But they were both helping. He and Phyllis were helping out, but she was really excited about this night and getting everything working. And then Secunda would snap on her because of all of his drama going on with his brother and then Isabella's care. It was just so sad and heartbreaking to see because she was really into him.
1: (laughs) It's just guys taking women for granted that could be good for them, but it's just like, nah, that's not going to work out.
0: Yeah, and then you have the opposite going on with Primo's character because he's interested in this woman who sells flowers, Alice and Janney.
1: Yes, our streak of (laughs) Alice and Janney movies continues (laughs) because we've been on a hot streak.
0: I'm like unintentionally blowing through her filmography.
1: Yeah, we're not talking about it today, but just yesterday we watched Private Parts and Alice and Janney popped up and I was like, are you kidding me, Jessica? It's, <laughs> it's all Alice and Janney movies in our house.
0: Yeah, and she was in the movie Margaret whenever we watched that.
1: Oh yeah, true.
0: It's wild. She pops up in all kinds of stuff, especially in the 90s. Yeah. But they have this relationship where Primo is really into her. He has a huge crush on her and it's super sweet. And Secundo, like convinces him to go and invite her because he's like, yeah, she wants to be invited. She likes you. And she comes and she's really impressed and taken with the food and he prepares food with her with her standing there and you can tell how impressed she is and just like enveloped in everything. Like what I was talking about, like the smells and the process and she's really happy and delighted by Primo and it's very sweet.
1: Yeah, that's one of the better scenes in the movie. Mm It's just a very simple bonding of two characters over this process of creating delicious food.
0: Yeah, it's like he's showing her pieces of him and his family and his heritage and also just that's probably his love language, just cooking for people. Yeah. So it's very special that he let her in to that i just love how she acts in the the party and everything how excited she has to be there that's nice instead of worrying about the other restaurant owner ian holmes character because he just seems seedy and two-faced the entire
1: movie and
0: manipulative yeah he just makes me feel uncomfortable
1: yeah but then it's not a spoiler say so he's not entirely bad whenever he like tastes the food at the end he's not like this is garbage he's just like no you guys you have talent this is some yeah. of the best food i've ever eaten you're like nice All All right, good. Thanks for giving them props.
0: Yeah, but his relationship with Secundo is kind of like a love-hate thing and Mm -hmm. every time he goes into the restaurant, I just feel uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. The movie, it's a good depiction of how, as we were saying earlier, just how America forces immigrants to conform and just get rid of their heritage. Yeah, just be more like us. We're not interested in this aspect. It's really sad and you can see how much it tears Primo apart. It's really weighing on him. Yeah. But Secundo is more, I want to adapt because I want to succeed kind of type of person so
1: Primo is more artistic integrity he wants to stay true to (laughs) his roots and himself yeah I like that in the scene, whenever, at the beginning, whenever the American couple is wanting all of these, like, substitutions and different things, and Secundo says, all right, go out there, Primo, and confront them. And whenever he opens the door to the couple, Primo's just like, okay, no. Like, he just backs (laughs) off immediately. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll just do whatever. Fine. (laughs) But while silently resenting them. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And there's also, like, that whole backdrop throughout the movie of he has a fail safe with his uncle in Italy Mm -hmm. because his uncle is just... Like, you guys can come back and work at the restaurant if things don't go well. So I think that also holds them back because he's just like, well,
1: I'll just go back. It's fine. Yeah, each of them kind of have fallback plans for if the restaurant fails, just in different ways, one in which would leave them in America and one in which they go back to Italy. So they want the restaurant to succeed, but both have definite backup plans if it doesn't. Yeah. But they're at odds with one another.
0: Yeah. I wish that there were more movies like this. I want more food movies and drama and nice movies. So just like mix them together. I want more of it. Yeah.
1: You wrote an excellent, this is a plug. (laughs) You wrote an excellent (laughs) article on this for geekvibesnation.com. So go look for her top 10 food movies (laughs) on geekvibesnation.com. It's a pretty good read. I think
0: I titled it Top 10 Movies to wet Your Appetite. Nice.
1: Oh, good for you and how was it what shall your rating system be my
0: rating system is timpanos which is this crazy complex baked pasta dish that they make which looks insane it's like the highlight of the big night meal so i would give this movie three and a half timpanos out of five very
1: good Mm -hmm. it sounds delicious (laughs) (laughs) i would probably stick this at two and a half timpanos (laughs) out of five mostly for the food scenes (laughs) but it's pretty good if you want to see how you feel about this movie it is available on canopy or paramount plus shout out to laura for helping us watch this (laughs) yes girls only want boyfriends who have great skills you know like nunchuck skills bow hunting skills computer hacking skills how was school?
0: Worst day of my life? What do you think? <laughs> Idiot!
1: What kind of bike do you have? It's a sledgehammer. Dang! You ever take it off any sweet jumps? Napoleon Dynamite debuted at the Sundance Film Festival in 2004. It is directed by Jared Hess and stars John Heater, Efren Ramirez, Tina Majorino, Aaron Ruel, and John Griess. Sporting a hideous haircut, Preston, Idaho's gangly, bespectacled 16-year-old loser, Napoleon Dynamite, actually thinks he is too cool for school. But when he is not locking horns with his 30-something chatroom-addict brother, Kip, or trying to avoid Uncle Rico, who's still living in the past, Napoleon wiles away the time doodling mythical creatures. Then, Napoleon's life becomes complicated as two unexpected friends enter the picture, the budding photographer, Deb, and Pedro, the quiet school newcomer who wants to run for high school president. My experience with this movie is this was a huge movie in my middle school days because everyone would quote this movie. It was insane. It was like a minor phenomenon. There was constant just like, God, Tina, and <laughs> like, getting skills and stuff? Like, everyone would just... You would constantly hear Napoleon Dynamite <laughs> quotes just through the hallways and in class. Your
0: mom goes to college. <laughs> yep.
1: All the time. All the freaking time. And did I like it at the time? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good too. But I've heard so many of these quotes throughout the years. I didn't know how I would be revisiting this movie after so long because it's been a good decade plus since I've seen <laughs> this movie. And it's fine. It's not super hilarious. Mostly because I think all of the jokes are so ingrained in my head from that time that it's just not as funny anymore because it's been blunted by society, but I still enjoy it. I think it's like a pleasant watch. It's just not as funny to me as it once was just because just the years, the years, man. Well, (laughs) I remember whenever this came out, whenever
0: it was about to come out, the MTV picked it up and it was all over MTV. It was still during the period where I was watching MTV for music videos and stuff in the mornings and just random stuff. I think Dario was still going a little bit, Mm -hmm. like ending. And so they would play promos for it all the time and like little teasers and clips and then have like the animation come in. And it was like a huge thing. It was on all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was really excited to see it and it made it look super good. And I don't remember them wasting too many of the jokes in those... I think it was just kind of the same thing over and over. Like, Tina, you fat lord! Yeah, like, freaking idiot! Yeah. <laughs> so whenever I watched it, I was kind of like, what in the hell is this? It was a weird movie and just kind of meandering. And it seems like it has no plot, but it does. It's just weird. It's just like a, a bunch of clips together. I think it was based on shorts that they did originally, and he just kind of expanded it. Yeah. It's interesting that way.
1: Yeah, this movie is, it's like a kid-friendly version of Sundance movies. (laughs) that you can like graduate to that are super weird yeah like what i imagine greener grass will be like (laughs) it's just super random and different oddball characters and non-sequiturs yeah
0: i think they made indie movies more accessible at that point with this movie Mm -hmm. because it was so popular with my age group because like you said i heard all the quotes in school all the time Mm -hmm. and it was strange how it just blew up like that and then i remember people watching it and being like that is the dumbest thing." I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know. People in my school loved it. I think it was evenly split in mine because I think people are like, what? And then some people were like, this is great. And I remember being let down. I was just like, oh, that's fine. I didn't think that it was amazing, but mm-hmm. I liked it okay. And it made me chuckle. This rewatch, it went better for me, I guess. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten some of the things in it. I remembered like his tater tot stuff and the liger and Tina. There were some things that I had forgotten that made me chuckle mm-hmm. whenever I saw them again. Like, when we're watching it, and I burst out laughing at the part. <laughs> it still makes me laugh, because I remember laughing at it the first time I watched it, yeah. but I'd completely <laughs> forgotten about it, and so it took me by surprise. Where Kip is selling Tupperware with his uncle, and he's trying to demonstrate how strong it is, and he puts it behind the, the van tire, <laughs> And you're just like, this isn't going to work. And he the lady's just watching in the yard and he backs over it and explodes. And then he's like, dang it. <laughs> and then he just drives off. And the lady's just standing there like, what? I love how he just drives off. Yeah,
1: that gave me the biggest laugh of the movie.
0: (laughs) I think that's the best part of the movie for me. It just makes me laugh so much how he just, it's like, dang it. And then just drives off because he's like, I don't have anything else to do here. So that's done.
1: (laughs) There are a lot of really good individual moments that do make me chuckle. They used to make me chuckle more is the problem. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff with, like, Uncle Rico and just him, stuff with his football and, like, hurting people, and I think he's trying to uh, demonstrate how good his arm is, so he, like, whips a steak at Napoleon, mm-hmm. and that makes me laugh. Yeah, I was reading that that took a few takes to, like, get
0: him straight in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it a little bit better this time, I think. It was just kind of a silly watch. Strangely, I relate more to Uncle Rico because his whole living in the past and glory days and just wishing he could go back Mm -hmm. and recapture his youth, I find myself relating to that more and then it makes me feel sad.
1: (laughs) It's funny because I was about to say the Uncle Rico stuff reads as a lot more tragic this time as older because yeah. I just look at him. He won't stop living in the past and just how he always brings it up and like he buys something like junk that's obviously not going to work, but that is built as a time machine so he can literally <laughs> go back in time and all it does is just shock his nuts. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I so relate to that. Like, I get it. I get it so much. And that's what's so sad. It's yeah. like you said, it's tragic. I don't really like him as a character. He's a creep. But yeah. The part of him that is just wanting the past and yearning for that, I very much understand. Mm-hmm. And whenever I first watched this, I just was like, he's just an annoying dude who mm-hmm. is ruining Napoleon's life. I didn't think much about it, but now I'm just like, oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get the the past thing, not him being creepy to women. that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, whenever he rolls up on the high school girls and gives them the pamphlet for if they want larger natural breasts.
0: Yeah, that is. Mm, I was just like, oh,
1: oh no. yeah,
0: it's really gross and him talking to Deb and being creepy it makes me uncomfortable
1: yeah (laughs) he's just like creepy to all the housewives that he tries to sell things to as well yeah but then a lot of them show him sympathy and affection because he also tells a lot of lies about what's going on with Napoleon Mm -hmm. and and, like how he's being a good father figure to them and it's a lot
0: yeah it's strange seeing John Heater looking like this he got his hair permed for the movie Mm -hmm. and how his face looks how he has that set for the movie for the character
1: like kind of slack jawed yeah. yeah
0: and then kind of like squinty at yeah. times and then just seeing him later in movies with straight hair and not big granny glasses and everything it is wild how different he looks yeah just his mouth everything looks so different it blows my mind
1: he really inhabited the character like yeah. he made it
0: work i remember because of this movie both songs but more so i think time after time, really took off in popularity. Like, people were really into it again because it plays during the dance scene. Mm-hmm. Like, their school dance and then also Forever Young. Yeah. So I remember those songs, like, blowing up at this time. And also on MTV, they would show the clips of the dance a little bit and mm-hmm. play the song. So then it's more like people are listening to the songs again. And that was... Interesting.
1: It was weird, like, whenever we got to the dance scene, I was super confused because I was sure that that was the end of the movie, and I was like, we're only halfway through the movie, what is going on? Yeah, but you still have hit Napoleon's big dance, Yeah, his single dance. Yeah, I had forgotten kind of the structure of the movie, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, we're already at the dance, because that's one of my favorite scenes, because I like the moments between him and Deb, when they're dancing at the prom, or... I think
0: it's just like a spring dance. Oh, okay. No, maybe it's prom. I can't remember.
1: It's a lovely moment, like a more uh, emotional human element. I've always really liked that scene. So I was looking forward to it. And then when we got to it, I was like, man, we're only halfway through the movie. I can't remember the rest of this movie. <laughs> yeah. And then I was, it came back to me. I was like, okay, this is where we're at. I
0: remember people always quoting, I see that you're drinking 2% milk. Is that because yeah. you think you're fat? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. This movie, people thought it was immensely quotable. So they did it all. Because I equated to, there was more quotes than the uh, Borat era. Like, very nice. Like, Mm -hmm. this is what that was for the middle schoolers. Yeah. That was their version of Borat. All the the Vote for Pedro shirts Mm -hmm. that people wore. (laughs) It was really crazy how it just took off. Cultural zeitgeist, man. (laughs) Speaking of uh, songs in the movie, I had forgotten this scene, but it really amused me. So when Napoleon was performing the sign language to Some Say Love Mm -hmm. in the classroom, I was amused because it reminded me of recently we watched Only yesterday mm-hmm. the anime that song was in that and i was like oh i know this song and it's just a amusing oddball moment
0: some say love it is a river that drowns
1: They're part of the Happy Hands Club.
0: Yeah, I like that part because it's unexpected and it just suddenly you're in it because mm-hmm. it's like a clip show almost. It just reminds me of like times whenever I was in elementary school whenever we would do sign language interpretations to certain songs. I think we did I Believe I Can Fly one time and I want to say that Hercules song. What is it? The one in the movie, in the Disney movie. The Distance? Yeah, I Can Go the Distance. Yeah. I think we did that one too. And it just makes me laugh because it's very 90s. Of course it is. <laughs> Yeah, and this whole movie has like an aesthetic of 80s and 90s, which mm-hmm. is interesting, because I didn't really, I guess, notice that whenever I first watched it. I wasn't really thinking, oh, this seems like it takes place in the past, but it doesn't. But now you can really see it. Even the fashion and the hair, it makes it seem like it's more in the 80s or early 90s. Yeah, but there
1: are chat rooms, so mm-hmm. it's obviously more modern than that. Yeah, it's interesting. I
0: mean, I guess it's just a choice by them, because yeah. it makes them seem more kind of like a Codunk town and oddball and quirky in Mm -hmm. a way. So I like the aesthetic to it. Yeah. The filter that they use is also not washed out, but like faded so it looks more like an 80s movie which is fine with me yeah (laughs) i like 80s movies i like all of the stuff with pedro Mm -hmm. i like how quickly napoleon forms a bond with him and takes him under his wing and he's just like yeah i'll show you around the school i'll tell you what's what and then pedro he wants to find his voice and he wants to be someone and he wants to make a difference so whenever he sees that poster for student body president he's just like i want to do this and i like how it's an underdog story Mm mm-hmm And Napoleon is like, yeah, I'll totally help you win.
1: Yeah, his friendship with Pedro was nice. And I like how Pedro would say, like, he's very understated throughout. But even whenever he would break his more easygoing thoughts, he would still keep the tone. Like, whenever he's discussing how he freaked out and, like, shaved his head because he was was too hot. When he's telling this story, it's very amusing. But he just keeps that monotone voice throughout. I
0: completely. Really forgotten that he did that and that he was wearing a wig at yeah. the end.
1: One thing that I didn't quite like about the movie, especially upon this rewatch, is there were elements that seemed problematic to me, especially what they used as jokes in the movie, as far as, like, Kip and his girlfriend, that she ends up being a black lady named LaFonda, because mm-hmm. that seems very easy, and this is a funny name for her, and she's very, I guess, stereotypical. Yeah. And then they make Kip turn into a white gangster. With, like, a not like a do rag, but kind of like a skull cap type thing. I mean, it was basically a do rag. Yeah. So having him turn into that, and then also using Pedro's cousins, stereotyping them of just like Hispanics rolling around and like low riders and looking menacing, even though they're nice and they're like helping out Napoleon, but that they're used to be as an intimidation tactic mm-hmm. for like bullies and stuff, it, it kind of seemed a little bit odd to me and uncomfortable. Yeah. They just looked like hoodlums. Yeah. And I'm just, like this seems like too on the nose and stereotypical like they're using racial stereotypes as easy jokes.
0: Yeah, of course with most movies from the past there are always things that seem to not age well. Mhm. So it's not surprising that this movie has some things. Yeah. As I was watching, I remember feeling uncomfortable whenever LaFonda came in and everything, and because it seemed like they were making fun of her.
1: Even though Kip does really like her and stuff, but still it seems like it's played for a joke. Like, can you believe they're together?
0: But it's a relationship between people. What's the problem?
1: They formed a relationship online, and they might not fit your conventional, like, these two would be together, but like, okay. It shouldn't be like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, that aside, I think the movie has its heart in the right place, Mm. and it's supposed to be, like, lifting up the oddball voices out in the world and making everyone feel good and feel comfortable in your own skin. That's one of the things I like. You mentioned Uncle Rico talking to Deb about the enhancement stuff, because he throws Napoleon under the bus and says that Napoleon said that she would be interested, Mm. which isn't true. (laughs) But whenever Tina, not Tina, Deb... (laughs) tina in real life because that's her the actress's <laughs> name whenever deb calls napoleon and she stands up for herself and she's like i'm comfortable and how i look and my body and stuff i'm like good for you deb
0: yeah that is nice speaking of tina The llama? Yeah. I find it very funny that there are at least two scenes where Napoleon's trying to feed her, but he's trying to feed her stuff that llamas don't eat. Llamas are herbivores. And so (laughs) she has, like, all this grass that she can eat, and then he comes out with, like, casserole and throws it at her. Come eat your dinner! I think he had, like, ham or something one time, and I was like, llamas don't eat that! It's ridiculous. Yeah. Also involving food. I remember this, but I still enjoy the tater tots stuff, because...
1: (laughs) Sneaking tots. Yes,
0: because, like... (laughs) where they're eating lunch in the cafeteria, and obviously it's tater tot day. And I just remember how exciting that is whenever you're a kid yeah. going to school, and you're like, it's tater tot day. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> Pedro had, like, his mountain of tots, mm-hmm. and then Napoleon asks him if he's going to eat them, and then he's like, no, and he takes them and puts it in his pocket. And I get that. I get wanting to save those tots and have a snack later, because you get hungry, and you got some tots. Yeah. I mean, it's a gross way to save them, but I understand why he did it. And yeah. then I remember getting so mad at that kid, kicking his leg or the tots crushing were. his yeah. tots.
1: And I still got mad. Yeah. <laughs> it's so mean. That brought up a lot of tots talk in my school. Another thing was whenever his grandmother talked about the dang quesadillas. And I was just yep. like, oh, yep, that entered the zeitgeist.
0: I was reading some facts and stuff about this movie, and for a while, that town in Idaho where they filmed, Mm -hmm. they declared one day, like, Napoleon Dynamite Day, Mm -hmm. because it brought so much attention to their town, and they were really excited, so they were super hyped about this movie coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And they had, like, that holiday, and I think people dressed up as the characters, and then they served all the things in the movie, like tater tots, because they are also excited about it promoting their biggest export of potatoes. Oh, yeah? (laughs) So they had, like, tater tots and all kinds of stuff. But I don't think
1: that they do it anymore. Yeah, there's, like, there's diminishing returns (laughs) over the (laughs) years. Just (laughs) still a few hardcore Napoleon Dynamite fans, like, yeah, I can't wait to go. 13th year in a (laughs) row, let's do this.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm sure people still visit, yeah. which is good for them. I mean, I'm happy for them that they got attention and they got all that money for a while just yeah. to maybe help their school
1: and everything. <laughs> Jessica, I have to ask a peek behind the curtain. We watched the first half of this movie together, but I had to go to work and I finished it later. Mm. Did you watch that post credit scene?
0: I did. I think I remember it being there. Yeah. Like I'd forgotten. And then whenever it happened, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this.
1: Yeah. Cause I was looking at how much was left in the movie. I was like, how is there so much left in this movie? <laughs> but we're ending the movie now. I'm like, oh, cause cause like there's like a six minute post credit scene. Yeah. It's very long. Yeah. I mean, it delved into more. Or the La Fonda stuff mm-hmm. but it's interesting I guess I just forgot that I was there it's just a mighty long scene yeah I had read a fact about them
0: doing like a tribute to Highlander or something with that scene mm-hmm.
1: maybe whenever he rides up on the horse yeah the trivia was about him on the horse and I think that's what they were doing I have a confession I've never seen Highlander I have not either I only know that there can be one. Oh yeah I know that One final note from me, one thing I'd forgotten about the movie is Napoleon, he becomes, I think he's part of the FFA, and he starts judging the milk, and he decipher, like, what cow, (laughs) like, this cow's been in an onion patch or something, and I was extra delighted by that scene because my niece... Layla yeah. is in FFA I've never seen anything that she's actually done in terms of judging but then I just like to imagine her doing that just <laughs> drinking this milk and just be like this cow has too much iron in his blood or something Yeah, and I'm just like I know what she does now
0: yeah I forgot about that scene <laughs> It's very funny. Yeah. I had also read in the trivia that that was one of the shorts that they did a while ago, and so they included it. They did it again for the movie. Oh, nice. I think it was just, like, one short, and that was the short, mm-hmm. and so they just wanted to expand. Expand the Napoleon universe? Yeah, yeah. so they wanted to include that, which yeah. I'm glad that they did. Oh, there's that one scene where Napoleon's trying to get a job. He wants money for something, but where they go to the chicken farm whenever it's lunchtime, and the two guys are, like, preparing the food. is so nasty. yeah but also whenever napoleon drinks what they prepare and then he he's the only one who drinks it and it makes me laugh
1: because the
0: the two dudes are drinking it like no problem it's nothing but napoleon's like yeah and then he tries it and he's like oh (laughs) and the other kids who are working are watching him they're just like yeah no
1: yeah we're not doing that yeah
0: Ugh, it's so gross. Napoleon,
1: he gets into some stuff. Yeah, weird stuff. Tina, you fat lard, come get some dinner! What is your rating system? There is a key interpretive dance at the end of the movie, so my rating system is interpretive dances. Mm -hmm. I would perform three (laughs) interpretive dances out of five.
0: I think I'm going to agree with you. I think I would perform three interpretive dances out of five, so it's a decent dance, and I'm feeling it, Mm -hmm. but maybe not quite the most emotion or interpretation.
1: (laughs) Your heart's not completely in it. Yeah. If you would like to see if this movie either holds up for you or is a new discovery, it is available both digitally or on Blu-ray. The year is 1966. Three young men returned from a trip around the world with footage that was about to change the world. The young men were filmmaker Bruce Brown and surfing legends Mike Hinson and Robert August who followed the everlasting summer around the world. Little did they know at the time that they were in possession of what would become the most influential and iconic surf film of all time. One that would create a cultural revolution like nothing America had ever seen before. This film, of course, was The Endless Summer, all for the pursuit of the perfect wave.
0: The Endless Summer was released in 1966. It was written, directed, and narrated by Bruce Brown. It stars Bruce Brown, Robert August, and Michael Henson. Documentary filmmaker and competitive level surfer Bruce Brown follows surfers Michael Henson and Robert August on an around the world surfing adventure. With Brown's wry sardonic narration and a twangy guitar-driven instrumental soundtrack by the Sandals playing over the silent footage, Mike and Rob leave their California home to visit Hawaii, Australia, South Africa, and other secluded surfing spots in a search for. Or the Surfer's Holy Grail that Brown dubs The Perfect Wave. This movie is not really like a traditional documentary. I don't even know if you could say it was a documentary it's kind of just like footage with the narration. (laughs) It's nice to watch because I find it relaxing and I didn't even notice that the footage was actually silent because there's all that music over it but I didn't even notice that I was missing the sound of the waves so that's interesting to think about but the narration and the music is so just like present all the time that you just don't think about it and you can't hear them talking which I noticed and Bruce Brown would make the voices for them like oh hey Mike oh gee but I wasn't really thinking about it being silent footage. It's an interesting choice I guess because he could have not done silent footage but he also talked about running out of film a lot of times whenever he was filming them on certain perfect waves where they would stay on the wave for like 5 minutes or longer and he couldn't film the entire thing because he would run out of film.
1: Yeah I think there was like one wave that he's like they just kept going for like 45 minutes and I was like Jesus.
0: Yeah it was St. Francis in South Africa I believe that they found the quote unquote perfect waves where they were perfectly formed and shaped and they just like broke really slowly and they could just stand there on the wave and just move with it
1: just keep going
0: yeah and, and he just, was like have
1: conversations with they' like it got pretty boring yeah but just
0: like just <laughs> surfing. Bruce Brown, his narration, he was saying how sometimes you get bored whenever you're just, the wave is too perfect. Yeah. I wanted to see a little bit more of, like, tricks and stuff on the waves, but I realized this is the 60s, so they're not really doing that. It's, like, the basic form of surfing. Like, can you stand the wave? Can you ride it out? The big tricks are just hanging ten and standing, or just, like, maybe switching your stance, or whenever the wave curls over you, but you stay on it and you come out of it and you just ride it out. Mm -hmm. So just being inside the tube is, like, a trick and then popping out of it and staying on the board. That's a thing. But other than that, there's not really a lot going on with their surfing. It's just kind of like riding that wave. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted it to be more of what they have now. Surfing competition level, like X Games level. <laughs> not that surfing is the X Games, but you know, that kind of extreme. Extreme sports. But it is relaxing to watch, though. And where they go, all the places are really pretty and interesting to see. Yeah. I was nervous whenever they went to Africa because I was a nervous about the racism that might be in the movie and for good
1: reason yeah and
0: there is some the entire time that they're in africa i was uncomfortable because i was just like oh no they're gonna say something really bad and he says stuff that's not great yeah there's even like a small thing where they're at a gas station and the gas is expensive and he's like just like its name it's a jip and i was like oh no i'm uncomfortable
1: because that's racist (laughs) yeah there's one part where he talks about like good africans they're throwing rocks at the boys and i was like what the (laughs)
0: Yeah, I was just like, oh, no. So every time he would talk about them, I was just uncomfortable and waiting for him to say something gross. So I preferred whenever he would just focus on Michael and Robert and just not talk about them. Yeah. (laughs) That's just like... (laughs) The transitions are interesting, but I guess because the kind of film that he used, it's just almost going to commercial and then coming back. It kind of just fades out and then comes back in. Yeah. And like I said, after the movie ended, I wish they would have gone to Japan because they were just right over there and I wanted to see what surfing was like over there, like if there's any good waves to ride.
1: Yeah. I think I was at a disadvantage with this movie because the voice of the narrator really bugged me. <laughs> so I really didn't like this movie. It was very boring to me. <laughs> yeah. And I did not need an hour and a half of it. <laughs> It is a travel log. I enjoy seeing all of the places that they went. They didn't really show anything interesting to me. Like, it is relaxing, but it's so relaxing that if I wasn't doing something during it, which was opening some Blu-rays I got while (laughs) I was doing it, like, I probably would have fallen asleep because you can only see people ride waves (laughs) for so long. That's why I wanted the more tricks and stuff. Yeah, because they would say, okay, now we're in South Africa. Now we're... here." here now we're here and I'm like okay you're not really delving that much into the culture you're doing it a little bit but it's just like okay now they're on this wave
0: well now they're on this wave. it was more so about finding different surf spots and seeing how it is around
1: the world it wasn't about the culture where they're visiting yeah but they didn't do a lot to distinguish between each place they're like oh this place it's hard to get to this beach you have to go down this thing I'm like okay (laughs) I think they did
0: enough because some places didn't have good surf and then they were distinguishing it between the kinds of waves that each place had, which I found interesting. Like that's the part that I found interesting since there aren't tricks and stuff to be like, whoa, impressed with. I found it interesting just knowing if there was surf in certain places. So I wanted to know, like it's like puzzle or whatever. I'm just
1: like, is there? yeah they could have just been like documentary short just like yes yes no yes no <laughs>
0: i think if you really really love surfing you'll really really love this movie and the length is perfect for you but could it have been like 30 minutes yeah
1: yeah i think my main issue is that it was narrated by bruce instead of focusing on michael and the other guy yeah but since it was silent footage it yeah. would be even more but if they maybe could have gotten some of their thoughts in there
0: too yeah if he could have invited them back while he was editing
1: yeah neither of them had any personality so i did not care about anything that they were doing i could care less if they're catching the perfect wave because they're not doing anything interesting on it they're just surfing like they're surfing But like I said, there's no cool tricks or anything. It's just like watching dudes surf. And <laughs> yeah. I found it very tedious. I found it tedious in spots. I think the ocean's beautiful. I think surfing is cool. I just don't need to watch people do it for mm. a long time without much change. Because once they're out in the water, it pretty much looks the same. There's different levels of the wave, but that's not enough to keep me invested too much. Yeah.
0: I didn't like the beginning, the first 10 minutes 10 to 15 minutes Bruce is going over different surfing spots in the US and he's explaining about them and showing different professional surfers and telling their signature moves or like what they are good at mm-hmm. I did not like that at all I found it really boring and I was just like is this all this movie is going to be it's like an advertisement for travel like if you want to go here to this is where this surfing is this is where you can catch these waves yeah. so I was like oh no is this all this is but then whenever they started following the two surfers I was like okay that's a little bit better for me at least and this movie did let me down because I was expecting something different I wasn't expecting this I guess I was expecting like a documentary I was excited about it I like surfing and I like skateboarding and I like BMX and I like rollerblading I like all of the extreme sports as they call them I love watching all of it so I was pretty excited for this movie it was a letdown
1: yeah you were very excited you're like can we watch this can we watch this and I'm like yeah sure I know like I've asked you to watch some documentaries in recent weeks where you have bailed out and you're like, nah I'm not mm-hmm. interested in finishing this. This probably would have been one that would have made me consider it more heavily. I considered
0: it while we are watching. In my head I was like, should I just bail on this? But then I just wanted to see it out. I just wanted to see what was going on and I'm glad I at least stuck it out until the end just to know that it wasn't just like an advertisement for tourists
1: with the U.S. stuff. There are interesting places in the movie. Yeah, okay. I will admit there were some interesting things but most of it had (laughs) nothing to do with surfing yeah like i appreciated the monkeys that would steal things from cars yeah i liked that i thought it was amusing when they kept showing the lady with the coin slot exposed (laughs) yeah (laughs) little uh Bikini. Yeah, bikini just kind of showing her top of her crack. Yeah. And that amused me. And this dude trying to make something happen with her, he's just like, uh, I'll take her back home. Yeah. And the yeah. other one
0: being like, darn it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bruce made it out to be that way. So it yeah. could have been something totally different, though.
1: True. Like dramatic license. Yeah. Uh, like he's shaping the narrative with his words.
0: Yeah. Because he would say things that they said, like, Mike, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they probably didn't say most of the things that he said. True. He was just
1: being a goof. Yeah. Just hearing his cheesy voice for 90 minutes just grated on my nerves. It's very 60s. Like, it came out in
0: 66, but it's very of its time. Yeah. (laughs) Just the way that people talk and then the sound because it's got that Beach Boys sound. If you have any slight interest in surfing like I do, I think if you watch this movie, fast forward until you get to the two guys that they're following and watch 15 to 20 minutes of it, any country that they're in, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) You'll get a good feel of everything and you'll see like interesting surfing things and you can learn some basic things about surfing too. Yeah. Also, if you just want to zone out and maybe
1: relax and just go to sleep you could put this whole thing on yeah you can see some beautiful beaches of different countries yeah but if you're like wanting a thrilling engrossing documentary i would not call that this yeah
0: it's not extreme it's not high energy Mm -hmm. nothing like that i think it would be a great background for if you're having like a luau (laughs) oh yeah to put that on i know that's more like outdoors but if you're having any kind of beach themed party or whatever mm-hmm. it would be really good to put on in the background
1: yeah <laughs> agreed but as a dedicated watch for this fella <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a rough watch for me
0: they're like hardcore surfers and people who love surfing if they ever listen to this and we know that they're all listening right now they are screaming about this
1: Hey, I would come to the beach and watch you surf because I could probably like talk to you and be like, hey, what were you thinking? But just hearing this dude talk about these other two guys wasn't doing it for me.
0: Because on IMDb, there are plenty of really high ratings. And oh, I saw. I know that they are all surfers or surfing enthusiasts so they're like this is the seminal work for surfing documentaries so i know that they're very displeased with what we're saying right now
1: do we need to re-record this so we can be the number one surfing podcast oh maybe i think we need to rebrand
0: turn around right now for summer (laughs) there's still some other surfing documentaries that i want to watch i'm searching for that perfect wave if you will oh i will (laughs) So I'm very open to surfing docks mm-hmm. still. This wasn't
1: what I wanted or expected. We so. could get a documentary like the Dogtown and Z-Boys did for skateboarding. <laughs> then I'd be fine with that.
0: Hey, I'm a lover of Blue Crush and I'm not ashamed. So if there's any docks that are similar to that, if I, there I'm any, about it.
1: If there are any docs that are similar to Johnny Tsunami, oh, please hell let yeah. us know.
0: And <laughs> Rip Girls?
1: Mm. Oh, <laughs> Let's do it.
0: That's why I love rip girls. <laughs> Ripping through those waves.
1: <laughs> Later, dudes. Later rip hang pen. Have you come up with a rating system for this?
0: I have. I'm going to go with banana hammocks. Nice. I'm debating between one and a half and two. I think I might just give it two banana hammocks out
1: of five. So you would just wear only two banana hammocks? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a swinging <and> good time. <laughs> What is your rating system? Well, since I mentioned it, I'm going to have to go with coin slots. Yeah. (laughs) And I would show off one coin slot for this movie. Because the movie features beautiful scenery, Mm -hmm. and my coin slot would be a beautiful scenery. (laughs) So it works.
0: Yeah, I'm giving it a little bit higher just because of the pretty scenery and just showing around the world in different surfing spots, spotlighting them. Yeah. And it's an amazing feat, I guess, for the time, just to make something like that. So I'm just giving production
1: value. I mean, I am too. That's why it's not lower. (laughs) I have to take a stand, Jessica. Okay. I did not enjoy this movie except for, like, maybe three or four minutes of footage. If you want to see if this movie resonates with you anymore, it is currently available on Prime Video and on Blu-ray. <laughs> for joining us for this episode of Home Dance Film Festival. Join us again next week when we'll be discussing the new documentary Summer of Soul from director Amir Questlove-Thompson and 2006's Academy Award-nominated Little Miss Sunshine, plus a wild card that you'll have to wait to hear about. For those who want to prepare at home, Summer of Soul is currently available in select theaters and on Hulu, and Little Miss Sunshine is available on digital and Blu-ray. If you have any thoughts or opinions about the movies we discussed today
0: or movie suggestions, you can write us at homedancepod at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at HomeDancePod. Leave a rating or a review if you feel so inclined. It helps us out. That
1: would be great. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dylan Gonzalez too. You can also find me publishing reviews almost daily on GeekVibesNation.com. And you can follow
0: me on Twitter at Jessica Narrates. You can also find me contributing to GeekVibesNation.com.
1: We're proud to be a part of the Geek Vibes Nation podcasting network. Original music for the show is provided by Andrew Carroll, who can be found at music by Andrew carol.com original artwork for the show is provided by ben belcher who can be found on instagram at the art of ben belcher i've been dylan
0: and i've been jessica
1: you stay home and eat all the freaking chips jessica
0: dylan don't be jealous that i've been chatting online with babes all day bye, bye. Cheese.